Hello, lovely learners. Welcome back to this week's episode of the podcast. Before we jump into this episode, I want to take a sec to mention to you that if you found value in this podcast or are about to enjoy an awesome episode, then there is a way for you to support us monetarily. Do you have two euros lying around? Since you might not be spending that on your weekly coffee at Starbucks, you can get some awesome benefits by supporting us on Patreon, such as getting access to the VIP discussion area, being able to ask future guests questions in advance, and even being able to access my PDF of how to start a podcast, but that's at a higher tier. If you check out the link in the description where it says Patreon, then it would mean the world to me if you could help support this podcast starting only from two euros. It's super simple and it's a way for you to connect with me and also show your support. I appreciate it and now enjoy this episode. Today I'm talking with Henry Stewart, CEO of London-based company, which is a training provider that creates happy workplaces so that people enjoy their work more. No, no, I'm not CEO, I'm Chief Happiness Officer. Yes, sorry. Oh, we could have that as the correction if you want, I don't mind, but yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, let's, let's leave it then. So to start us off, I'd love to know how did you come up with this idea of helping workplaces become more fulfilling and where did it come from? Okay, um, I've been running Happy for 32 years. It started off as Happy Computers. Um, at that point, the aim was to make learning about um, uh, IT, about uh, Word and Excel and PowerPoint, and in those days, Word and Word Perfect. You, many of your, your, your listeners won't remember those. Uh, the idea was to make those fun and enjoyable to use. Um, but the The idea was always there to create a happy workplace. And the reason was my previous uh, employment. Um, Before Happy, I got together with some colleagues and helped set up a newspaper. Mm -hmm. It was a national Sunday newspaper. Um, in, in Britain, we have we have uh, separate newspapers on Sunday to the rest of the week, and it was going to be a radical campaigning, left of centre, um, uh, 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 popular newspaper. Mm-hmm. We raised six and a half million pounds. Wow! To set up the newspaper, we employed two hundred people. Damn! And we lost all that money in six weeks. That's fast. Because the book about it is called Disaster, quite appropriately. And what we created was a truly terrible place to work. Employed some great people, but we we but the management was appalling, and we were part. I say that being part of the management. So I left um, uh, News on Sunday, as it was called. Um, to and actually, I, I briefly worked for somebody else who sacked me after twelve days. <laughs> after after which, I decided I didn't want to work for anyone else again. And what I wanted to do was discover how you created a company that was principled, effective, and a great place to work. Mm-hmm. So that's always been the mission from the start. And the key turning point was in 1992. That was a few years in. We were a small business. We only had three people. But I was, you know, still ringing back every day from holiday or, you know, micromanaging people and telling them what to do. And then I read a book called Maverick. By who? By Ricardo Semler. Okay. Whose company, Semco, he took over from his father. It was based in Sao Paulo in, in Brazil. I think it makes fridges. Mm-hmm. Um, and before he took it over, 
there was such a lack of trust that workers were searched on the gates every day to check they hadn't nicked anything. Wow. He took it over. He first of all removed that and turned it into a company where workers decided most things for themselves. They decided their targets. They decided uh, how they worked. They decided who managed them. They even often decided their own salary. Whoa. And I was blown away. I thought, wow, a company can work like that? Um, and I still remember that I, we, we shared the, 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 the book with Rev there. And I remember a year later, I was ill and away for, uh, for three weeks with pneumonia. Um, and I got back, because we changed the nature of the company, I got back and I only had two phone calls to make. You know, everything else had been done, turnover had gone up. Um, that was the day before emails, by the way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and so that, that was the, the key transformative moment in Happy's development. And since then, we've developed, we're still learning, mm-hmm. but the key is to create an organization where you trust your people. Wow. And that story... The, from the book that you just mentioned still is quite surprising making allowing employees to make their own decisions completely and choose even choosing their own salaries but mm-hmm. yeah I, I totally see how a book can make such a shift in your your mindset and that's awesome so would you say that it was intentional to start creating this new culture of happy Absolutely. As I say, I, I, I left a disastrous enterprise and I was deliberately wanted to find out how you create a great workplace. Originally, it wasn't to teach others how to do it. Mm-hmm. We were an IT training business. Yeah. Um, but as we developed and as we started winning awards, we won the award for best customer service in the entire UK. We were five years in the top 20 workplaces. Our customers started asking us, can you can you teach us this? Can you show, show us how to create happy oh, workplaces? Cool. And so we shifted, and we um, we still have the IT training business, but we uh, the, the dominant part of the business is now programs on how to how to for leaders and managers generally mm-hmm. on how to to make their workplace a happy place, how to base it around trust and freedom, um, and empower their people. Amazing, but I guess this didn't happen from one day to the next, especially if you are out ill. But what? key steps did you have to take? Were you looking at your values? Did you have to restructure the company in some way or what happened? Well, as I say, we were quite small at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, companies often ask us, can we do it with, you know, can we make that switch with a thousand or five thousand or ten thousand people? Uh-huh. And yes, you can. Um, we were quite small and it was just, in many ways, it's a mindset change. The yeah. problem for most managers is they think they've been put in charge because they're the expert, they know best, mm. they have to make all the decisions. You just simply have to change that mindset to think, no, that is not my role. My role is to support my people. Google did a, a big uh, survey of what the most important behaviors of managers are. It's called Project Oxygen, if you want to look it up. Um, and they they did it by surveying Tens of thousands of uh, forms of appraisals looking at what happened. And they came up with their top three. Number three, show interest in your people. Mm. Number two, empower, don't micromanage. But number one, the most important behavior of managers is to be a good coach. So if you're a manager, stop with the decisions. Stop with the telling people what to do and start coaching people. And what that means because if you think of it, mm-hmm. if you think about it, if you've had a coach, what that means is building confidence, asking questions, and helping people find their own solutions. So, to, to take my example, um, 
I try to make, I, I, I run the company, but I try to make no decisions at all. Mm-hmm. Wow. So Vincent, about three years ago, we, we actually were in some difficulty. We, we'd lost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. We were in danger of going bust. Uh, we, we parted company with, with, with one of the managing directors in the business. Um, and you might think things are tough. I'd better get more involved. But I decided to get less involved. Huh. Okay. I decided I would make no decisions. Okay. How did that look like? Um, I, it looked. It, it turned out looking great. People stepped up. People started taking responsibility, and I started realizing that even though I was supposed happy was supposed to be a completely trust based environment, um, uh, people still, you know, thought, "Well, what does Henry think? What, what would he do? Better leave it to him." Now, so now people stepped up, and we moved from a massive loss to a massive profit in twelve months. Wow, that's twenty six percent. Growth, which has continued, it won't continue this year. Amazing. <laughs> but uh, we're, all, we're all, you know, we've had, since then, we've had three years of steady growth until this crisis hit. <laughs> That's so cool. Really. And so, man, if you're a leader, stop making decisions. The challenge I give people is try it for three months. And it's a. Uh, for three months, try and not make any decisions. Definitely. And I can imagine it is such a challenge. I mean, I'm a coach myself so i i when i know i'm going to coach somebody i enter the the conversation with only questions and no suggestions but i think for most people who haven't tried that even it can be pretty difficult <laughs> right yeah but it's that change of mind isn't it mm-hmm. like once you realize that's the role then yeah. yeah it's easy totally what i'm wondering um for so that's one aspect for the managers to do but what does a empowered workplace look like in general for you Okay, it looks like one where people have responsibility and control over their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, it is one that has less meetings. Yeah. <laughs> it has less approvals, particularly. As I say, the, the role of the manager shouldn't be to make decisions. The key point is most decisions should be made as close to the front line as possible. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. I don't step into the IT training room anymore. I've no idea what goes on there. You know, um, I don't talk to. I, I talk to some of our clients, but you know, our frontline staff are the people who are talking to them all the time. They know best what the situation is, so they should be making the decisions. Mm-hmm. And ideally, not consensus decisions. Okay. What does that mean? What's right? consensus? Decisions? So, so don't aim for consensus. Mm. Okay. Okay. Aim for individuals to take decisions. So, for instance, we've got we've got uh, a, a couple of years ago, a couple of people stepped up and said we want we're going to change the pricing. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's obviously quite a key business yeah. <laughs> metric, the price. <laughs> um, but it didn't go up to me. It didn't go up to the senior management. They said, okay, we're going to take responsibility for this. So they consulted. Wow. They looked at the competitors. They came up with a view. I completely disagreed with what they came up with, but, you know, that's fine. It was their decision. Um, they implemented new pricing, um, and that's what happened. So, as I say, not, it's, having a truly empowered workplace isn't about lots of cooperatives and everybody reaching, reaching an agreed decision. It's about individual responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that what I've just described there is often termed the advice process. Somebody takes yeah. responsibility, they seek advice, they may and may not listen to it, but they've sought the advice and then they make the decision. Wow. And even if you disagree with it, how can you empower them to trust that they're making the right decision then? Okay. So the key question for me is, is it against the values of the company? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, okay. we have a set of values. Yeah. Uh, delight the customer, celebrate mistakes, make a difference in the world, um, uh, make people feel good about themselves. Yeah. If it's against the values of the company, then I will I will point that out to them and I'll say is you know, if it's not against the values of the company, then they should then let them do it. Okay. And what but what happens if it goes wrong? Then it's up to them to correct it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, totally. Full responsibility of the Full people. responsibility, yeah. Now, obviously, you, you make sure that the people, uh, you know, you, you don't give the newbie who's a, a million pound budget or whatever, you know, you, you, you make sure that the people have the right skills for the role, you know. So just mm. take us at a small level. We had a 19-year-old uh, yeah. who was in charge of our cafe. We have a cafe cool. for, for our, our, our learners. And she said, I want to make the cafe. I want to improve the cafe. Um, now, what we didn't do was say, yeah, okay, send us a proposal and we'll discuss it. What we didn't do mm. was set up a committee to look at it. Yeah. What we did was agreed a budget with her, you know, about 500 pounds or so, um, and checked she understood the, the feel of the company because she was quite new, and then left her to decide to make, to, to make her own decisions and decide for herself. I saw it for the first time when I walked in and she'd done it. Wow. And I thought it was great. But just think, how do you think that 19-year-old, three months into her first job, felt walking into her cafe every day? Yeah, that's so powerful. And it was her cafe, not almost her cafe, but a manager said, we need this and this and this, or somebody else had said that. It was hers. And obviously, it wasn't perfect to start with. She changed it. She developed it. She talked to the, the, the learners about it. Um, but that's what you want. You want everybody having that sense of ownership. Um, <laughs> from being in control of their work. And then they can learn to adapt and use feedback so much more personally. Yeah. And, yeah. The key is getting the feedback. I don't know what those people in the cafe, the learners in the cafe wanted. Get the, get the person to talk to them and find out what they wanted. You know? Sure. Uh, I, yeah, 100%. So, so my role, part of my That's role so is cool. to make sure the feedback is there. Right, and that the metrics are right. So, for instance, in, in that shift from from losses to profit, mm -hmm. one thing I did ask of people was to measure train utilization. Now, yes, that, that's uh, slightly technical, but as a training business, our our profitability mm -hmm. crucially rests on how much the trains are utilized. And it's not what they obviously look at because the trainers that are out there giving a great day's training and they look at their evaluations. Okay. They find yeah. out that they, they, it's crucial to them how uh, happy people were, how confident they were, all these kinds of things. That's what mm -hmm. they're focused on. They're not focused naturally on train utilization. Um, so what I asked of them was every month, I would like you to calculate your utilization figure. Mm -hmm. And we'll put in a spreadsheet where everybody can see everybody else's figures. Because um, once something is being measured, People mm -hmm. pay attention to it, and they try and improve it. So we went from the cost, the, the trainer cost of a course being 42% wow. of the cost to 29% in a year. That alone added £100,000 to our profit. Mm -hmm. So I didn't set a target. I didn't say, no, but... you know, you need to achieve this. All I said was, I want you to measure it. Each month, I want you to measure it and then decide whatever you want to do with it. Damn. Okay. So then, well, what did you do with all the measuring? Did you only leave the essential trainings or did you adapt? I left it to them. They did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't need to do anything. I didn't need to say you should do this uh -huh. or that. I, uh, once they were measuring it, they were responding to it. Oh, there has been a break off from Henry. 
Hi, you've reached the mid-episode break, listening to Trainers Lifestyle, a podcast provided by Trainers Forum, which you can check out at trainersforum.org. And to connect with us and to learn more about myself, you can go to oscarward.com. All the links are in the description. And as I said at the beginning, I'd love your support. We have a Patreon account and you can support this podcast with simply paying two euros per month or simply shout us out on social media, tag us on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and share with your friends. And if you want to be really involved, you can also send, send me a voice message with the last link in the description with any questions to future guests or about the topic of learning in general. I really want to hear from you. So if there's anything that you want to say, send us a voice message or tag us everywhere. On Instagram, you can tag Trainers Forum or myself, Oscar Day, or in a post with Trainers Forum. Your support means the world to us. So I hope you're enjoying the show and let's get back into it. I don't know why that is. Um, okay, it, it did run out of battery, but there you go. Okay, where were we? We were on measurement, yes, <laughs> weren't we? So yeah, so so one of my roles is as overseeing our business is to understand what the key metrics are, but and to help people uh, measure those metrics. But how they respond to it is up to them. It's not up to me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not going to say to 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 Ed, you're spending too much time doing this or that or that. I, it's give them the metrics and make, let them make the decision. That's so true. Yeah. Just give them like some kind of question to guide them, it seems like. Well, question is different. That's the coaching element. So you have coaching, mm. <coughs> but you also have the key metrics. Okay, okay. Yeah, true. And following the, yeah, the values of the company. One question I got from my community, which I asked when I told them I was going to talk with you, was the third question I sent you, which is, um, we're talking a lot about digital transformation. I'm sure that your company is experiencing it a lot right now, and, <laughs> yeah. but how can, but how can pe um, companies shift to learn more about a happy transformation? Okay. First of all, they have to recognize the importance of it. Digital yeah. transformation costs a fortune. Happy transformation costs nothing and probably has more effect. <laughs> okay. The evidence is very clear that if you create a, a great workplace, a happy workplace, you are more productive. Um, mm -hmm. One of my favorite pieces of evidence is from Alex Edmonds at Wharton Business School, or he was then, um, who decided to look at the great places to work. There have been 25 years of great place to work um, mm -hmm. studies in the States. And he thought, do the great places to work perform better? Uh -huh. And he did a very detailed econometric study and found that if you took the stock market price, because that's a very easy metric, um, that over 25 years, if you'd, if you'd invested in standard stocks and ended up with $100,000, if you'd invested mm -hmm. in the best workplaces, you'd have ended up with $236,000. Wow. And I can tell you, Alex now invests all his savings in the best, wor in, in the, in the best workplaces. Um, or take the health service. Um, the King's Fund mm -hmm. in, the, in the UK did a study of hospitals, how engaged and happy staff were, and various other measures. And you won't be mm -hmm. surprised to know that when staff are happy, patients are happier. True. But it's also the case that when staff are happier, less patients die. Wow. Okay. So for every 96 patients that die in a happy engaged hospital in the UK, 103 died in a disengaged and unhappy hospital. And you know what that amounts? That amounts to 5,000 lives a year saved by happy, um, happy engaged workplaces. Okay. Wow. 
it makes a huge difference. So the first thing you have to do is recognize happy matters. Mm -hmm. If we can create a happy, engaged workplace based on trust and freedom, this will be a more fulfilled and a more productive organization. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing you have to do. And you have to have everybody bought into that. Because if they're saying, nah, well, it's happy, it's nice to have, but actually I'm focused on this, Mm -hmm. then it won't happen. Um, Then what do you do? there's various key elements. You can read my happy manifesto if it's available for free download online. So um, there's 10 key points. But I would say the key, the key elements are first, managers need to coach, not to tell people what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, now that's a major shift. For some people, it's just, oh, I didn't realize I had permission to do that. Yeah, please, that's what I want to do. For others, it's a, it's, it's a big change. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people can't do it. It's hard. Yeah, it can be. So the second point is don't don't insist everybody be managers. Hmm. Don't make it the only promotion stream in your in your um, company. I went into one company recently, and hmm. somebody said to me, she started her job, met a manager, and the manager said to her, "I'm not very good with people. I, I probably won't remember your name. I'd much rather be sitting in the corner writing reports." Huh. Now, what should that manager be doing? They should not be in charge of people. No, they should do what they and, want. You know, however much training you give them, they're not going to be any good at it. Um, they should be sitting in the corner writing reports. And if they're good at it, being well paid for it. Yeah. Um, Gallup has done a lot of research on this. Mm-hmm. They reckon that 10% of the population are natural managers. 10%. 20% can be taught it, and you should forget the rest. Wow. Sounds, and we all know, you say, yeah. That, that sounds quite harsh. 70% of people should forget it. huh? Yeah, because the key point, and this is the other thing you should be doing, is you should get your people to play to their strengths. For sure. Yes. Yeah? How, we, we have a view that you should um, uh, have joy in your work at Happy at least 80% of the time. Mm-hmm. And so we measure it. We've got 74% at the moment, so we're not doing bad. Um. And how do you get joy in your work generally by having a sense of purpose? There's three things. Have a sense of purpose, be trusted, and have the freedom to make your own decisions. Mm. But thirdly, doing something you're good at. Now, let's say you have an appraisal. Hopefully you don't because we've got rid of ours. But let's say you have an annual appraisal and it comes up with your strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. What generally do you get to work on next? A lot of people are told their weaknesses to improve them. Yeah. What's the alternative? The alternative is to forget your weaknesses, make sure you're not doing those kind of things, work on your strengths instead. So at Happy, we um, recruit your job description and then we throw it away and work out what they're actually good at. Right? <laughs> so, we, so we have team job descriptions within the team. They all decide, you know, they might every six months throw the jobs in the air and decide what to do next. So coming back to the manager... Uh-huh. There's no point in making someone a manager if it is not their strength. Yeah. Right. So we had one of our clients is a company called Cougar, who are a software company, and they sent uh, some of their project managers on our managing people course. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, they went to Cathy, who was training, and said, great course, love it, but it's made us realize we don't want to manage people. And we're going to go back and tell this to our managing director, wow. Clive. Now, 
we were a bit worried because Clive had paid for the course. Yeah, right? right. So, but actually, Clive was kind of quite happy because he'd never quite got around to saying to these people, maybe this isn't the role for you. But what they then went back and did was they set up a new promotion stream where as a developer, mm-hmm. you could have, you would, you would be, they would have judo belts. I think this mm. is a concept in Agile. Yeah. Um, and you might go from yellow to green to blue to brown to black. Mm-hmm. Um, but you'd never manage anybody. Wow. Right? So they now have two streams, one stream where people manage people mm-hmm. and one stream where um, you aim to be a black belt coder. And you can imagine that it's as attractive to people as the idea of managing people. Wow. So you've got to have, you've got to have two streams of management of equal weight, you know? So, I mean, take Google. If somebody is a brilliant programmer at Google, they will pay them ridiculous amounts of money. Yeah. Um, but they won't put them in charge of anyone because they would be a waste of their programming talent to be they're probably no good at it. <laughs> True. Well, I love that. Yeah, see, yeah. Want, yeah. Putting the, the weight on, for managing well as well as like doing your skill really well. That's yeah, perfect. If you're great at your skill, and uh, why put you in charge of people when you're not maybe great at that? I mean, I don't manage anybody, mm-hmm. right? I run my company. I don't manage anybody. I'm lucky because I have somebody, um, uh, my, my managing director, Kathy Buzana, who loves managing or rather coaching people, absolutely loves it. It's what fulfills her, what makes her get up in the morning. Um, I kind of think maybe I could get good at it, but why bother? You know, I'm good. I, I like to think there are things I'm good at, you know, networking, doing this kind of thing, that, you know. But, yeah, I have other people who are better at doing that. Fantastic. So just be, if, you, if you're listening to this and you are a founder of a company, let's be clear, you don't have to manage people. You can get someone else to do that. You just need to run the company. Yeah. 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 Work out what you're best at. And it might be managing people, or it might not. Yeah, incredible, really. And that, that's that's a major shift for me because I yeah I always had the idea that managers had to be able to manage people, or like leaders had to manage people. But yeah. no, totally give empower people to do their work to play to their strengths. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned you measure happiness at work um, using different metrics. Yeah. But how do you? And one of, yeah. one of them was purpose. How do you measure that, for example, or the different ones? Is it just... Well, we have, we have different things we do. We have a, a happy check every six months or so. Cool. Where we, we've been doing this for, for 25 years. Yeah. Um, where we get a sense of where people are. The key metric is actually uh, net promoter score. Do you know that? This is, um, yeah. yeah. They've been asked it by lots of people. Mm-hmm. How likely are you to recommend this product mm-hmm. yeah. from one to ten? So we ask, uh, how likely are you to recommend Happy to a colleague to work for from one to ten? Okay, um, that's our key metric. Um, but also, every um, as I say, we don't have appraisals. We had a vote on them two years ago, and eighty-two percent said to get rid of them. Um, yeah. And you know, most of them are pedantic and form constraint whatever you know there's been a study one study that shows that 33 percent of people actually get worse after their appraisal <laughs> what that's crazy um so w- what we have instead is, is a, a four monthly check-in mm-hmm. um which is much briefer it's just you know thinking about how you're relating to the values mm-hmm. we don't um we don't so much have targets as we have what we call radical disruptions okay tell me so 
Because we used to have targets, and yeah. like our, our, our facilitators would have the same target for ten years. You know, mm. I want to achieve this. I want to, uh, in terms of evaluation and whatever. You know, mm-hmm. what can you radically disrupt? What one thing can you radically change in your work in the next three months? That's what we ask people. Wow. Yeah. So it might be, you know, I want to achieve, uh, I want to teach a new course or do a completely new thing, or it might just be, uh, actually, I need to chill out and stop working so hard. Yeah. Huh. That was a key metric. That was a key disruption for one of our people, and she achieved it, and it was made her life and her work much better. Anyway, on that check-in form, we have the question, in what percentage of your work do you find joy? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all collated, and we and obviously for people who are low, we we try and talk to them about mm-hmm. how we can help and make it better. Okay, that's awesome. And going into a bit more uh, technical details, because I, I imagine you are doing a lot of online teaching now, right? Online training. Okay. <laughs> we are at the moment. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. We have a fabulous package of how to make remote working work. Um, yeah, we it's all good. I love that. I'm super into making online workshops more engaging right now it's something that absolutely that yeah and we have happen. got some great ones on on interactive tips for zoom um uh, I, I when you attend a zoom session and it's slides and boring stuff yeah, and yeah. knowing get oh it's so frustrating <laughs> when you can do such wonderful things with zoom exactly yeah yeah that well that leads right to my question of like how do you make your online trainings more engaging or how do you make sure that people really learn from them I don't know if you, you're doing them specifically, but maybe you've heard what your trainers are doing. Yeah, I'm actually doing some of them uh, my, cool. myself. I've got, a, I've got an online s- a session. I've got a free session, by the way, on how to uh, be interactive in, in Zoom. So it's about, obviously, key things are things like breakout rooms, mm-hmm. getting people to talk to each other just like they would in the classroom, um, making active use of the chat, um, uh, switching into other pieces of software like Google Docs and Google Sheets to get lots of information gathered together, um, uh, not, not having slides only 20% of the time. Mm-hmm at most so that you can actually see people and engage with people and get them to put hands up and talk to each other and do stuff. Um, it's, it, it, I, I'm almost preferring it to the classroom actually. I'm really quite it, it, enjoying um, cause you can get some real genuine engagement. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even with 30 people or 40 people or 50 people. Um, so I, I'm really rather, rather enjoying it at the moment. That's awesome. Yeah. Apart from the fact our income has collapsed, but you know, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I was actually speaking to another trainer uh, earlier this week who was saying, yeah, even with the smaller number of participants, you can really get the engagement going to to share even more, which is super cool. And um, <laughs> for companies that are hiring you and you're and happy to do this, how do you get... Actually, no. What I was reading on your website is that sometimes you help people integrate learning systems into their companies um and i, I was through re- <laughs> or like an e-learning kind of no we have some uh, we have some online learning products so for yeah. instance i'm uh, about to release um uh the online version of the happy manifesto which is one hour of me <laughs> videos of me um uh, with worksheets and so on cool. so you can uh, learn how to create a happy workplace um so we have some on we have some online elements but still most of what we do is in, either in the classroom or online mm-hmm. engaging with people yeah i was uh, wondering is um i actually worked for uh, like a top 50 happy workplace in the uk a couple of years ago and which one admiral 
the insurance company. Oh, they're excellent. Yeah, yes, yeah, they're, they're super, excellent. Super um, fun. They, they've been in the list for years. <laughs> yeah, they're really great. And they had a, like... A, and I tell you, I invest in happy workplaces um, because I, learning from uh, Alex and Admiral is one of the companies that I'm invested in, which have done very nicely. Cool. Yeah, they are. They are great. And what they had was uh, a platform for the all their employees online to be able to learn whatever they wanted. But I was wondering, how do you get in, employees to take that initiative to learn by themselves or to develop themselves if there's nobody pushing them, for say? I don't know if that's the right question, but... How do you incentivize? Yeah, well, so first of all, you 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 create the environment. Mm -hmm. You it could be how Admiral does it with a, a load of free courses. It could be simply saying you have a budget. You know, if you're a small company, it might just be two hundred fifty quid or something. Mm -hmm. If you're a bigger company, it might be a thousand pounds, which you can spend. Now you can either say you can spend on anything work related, or you can even you can say you can spend on anything. Um, you can learn knitting or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Oh, how to fix your bicycle? Um, uh, depends on what your what your approach is. Mm -hmm. But then, what you'll find is that some people step up and do it, and some people don't. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's where the coaching comes in. That's where the the role of the manager is to say, okay, let's look at look at what you're learning. What would you like to learn? How could I? How can we help you with that? So it's again, not saying, oh, you need to learn this, but asking them what do they need to learn and how could they go about it? Because again, that's the kind of prompt that people may not do in their normal work and that's the kind of prompt that you need the coach mm. to intervene and say okay what do you need to learn next that's a key question yeah totally awesome i think you've mentioned most of this but is there any uh one tip that you would give for somebody or a company to de start developing this mindset of creating people that want to learn and develop a happy culture okay i have three key points yes. which i have mentioned but i will go into the three key points number one Get people to do what they are good at. Mm -hmm. Crazy idea, right? Crazy, you know, <laughs> never catch on. Number two, give them the freedom and uh, the trust and freedom and enable them to make their own decisions. Mm -hmm. Those two are linked. Yeah. If people are doing something they're no good at, it's not a good idea to give them lots of trust and freedom. But if they're doing something they're good at, it's a great idea. And number three, what's the role of the manager? To coach. Coach, absolutely. So number three is, is coach them to be their best. Okay, put those three in place, and I reckon those are the, the groundings to a happy workplace. That's super cool. Well, we have a f couple minutes left. Um, I'm wondering if you have any tips or actionable takeaways, something that you would say to a person listening to this that they could do right after listening to this episode. Um, well, it, it very much d depends on whether they're a manager or a member of staff. Mm -hmm. um, but I would say that, that what I described about the, um, the cafe person is what we call pre-approval. Yeah. So the idea is uh, too often managers um, uh, ask them to go away and solve a problem and come up with something and bring it back for approval. Mm -hmm. So what I'm saying is you approve the solution before they've thought of it. Wow. Okay. Like that, that, that cafe coordinator. Um, so if your manager start to pre-approve, start to find areas where you can say, okay, these are the guidelines. This is what you need. You need to, that might be, this is the budget. It might be, you need to talk to these people. Um, these are the guidelines. Uh, go away and come up with your own solution and don't come back to me. Just go and do it. Um, and if you're a member of staff, try and get that from your manager. Try and say, look, how I work best is by, is by uh, being trusted to make my own decisions. Mm -hmm. Let's agree the guidelines I need to work within. Um, so that you're happy it meets the values and the needs of the organization and then set me free to, to decide for myself. 
that's super cool to hear. Yeah. So getting that pre-approval of the solution and to totally trusting your whoever, absolutely everybody you work with. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Is there anything that hasn't been said, Henry? Yeah. One, one thing I forgot is um, how you deal with mistakes. Tell me. So say you give all this freedom and trust and something goes terribly wrong. Yeah. So how you deal with mistakes is you celebrate them. <laughs> how do you celebrate them? You uh, give people a hug, not nowadays, but in the past. Um, you uh, maybe even have a party mm -hmm. or something, you know, um, you celebrate. One of my favorite stories is a, is a chemical company called Huntsman in the northeast of England, uh -huh. who used to have a big red button on the wall that if you pressed it, discharged the chemicals into the local river, which wasn't a good thing to happen. Wow. And one day they had the scaffolders in and the scaffolder nudged the button. Wow. When his company, his scaffolding company found out, he got sacked. Oh, shit. Yeah. But don't worry, it's got a happy ending. <laughs> Huntsman, when they found this out, said, no, 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 re-employ him. Send him back to work first. And they actually had a little party to thank him. And why did they do this? Because, A, he spotted, the problem was the button, not the person. Um, and, B, he could have scarped, nobody saw him press it. But instead, he went into the control room and said, I've pressed this button. There's a red light on. Um, and they were able to solve it within 20, 20 minutes instead of 24 hours. Minimum environmental damage and no fine. Because mm. the problem is not normally the mistake, it's the cover-up that follows the mistake. If you have an organization where you don't have psychological safety, mm -hmm. okay, where people don't feel able to own up to things wrong and you get cover-ups, that is the problem. Exactly. Right? That is when you have a problem. Do we want mistakes? Definitely not. Definitely not. Of course we do. We want mistakes. Let's say, let's say I have... Oh, you know, of course. Have, yes, yes, yes. To be able to learn from... Yeah. And to, absolutely. To let's say I've been with you three months and I come to my probation meeting and say, I've been here three months and I've made no mistakes. What do you think? What, are, what, what do you what, think? Yeah, what are you actually doing? Yeah. How are you doing? Are you lying or are you actually doing nothing? You know, um, I know one of the things that people particularly value at Happy, and some people say it's the most important thing, is they know if they try something new, if they take a risk, if they do their best and it all goes wrong, they know we will celebrate that mistake. And there's that, yeah, that's net of that psychological safety. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got to have psychological safety. You've got to have, um, I mean, psychological safety is an interesting one. Um, I was just told uh, there's a great story I heard recently of a, a Danish insurance company mm -hmm. where the director was saying, uh, look, this is how it is, uh, and described, you know, how he saw the, the situation. And the most junior person in the room piped up and said, it was actually taking the minutes, piped up and said, actually, that's not the case. Mm -hmm. okay. And the director said, oh, Oh, can you explain more? Now, two things there. In your organization, would the most junior person in the room be able to stand up to the director and say, actually, that's not the case? And secondly, would the director respond instead of, uh, you know, say, trying to cover that up by asking them, oh, tell me more? Mm -hmm. That's psychological safety. Yeah. I think Google, Google did a study and found that that was like one of the biggest factors um, predicting workplace happiness and in success yeah, and absolutely success. project aristotle amazing thank you so much for spending this time with me henry i really appreciate it it's been a pleasure it was, thank you oscar it was super cool um for people that haven't heard of happy yet maybe where can people learn more about you and your company and where you do amazing work 
Okay, go to happy.co.uk. Um, uh, you can download the Happy Manifesto from there. You can find out about our courses from there. Or connect to me on LinkedIn. I promise if you've come from here that I will connect back. Awesome. I'll definitely do that as well. I've already connected this morning to you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't check LinkedIn yet. That's awesome. Cool. Thank you so much, Henry. Your energy was awesome. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Do you have one more minute to stick around? I just have a couple of things to tell you. Firstly, we have the Patreon account where you can support us from as little as two euros. And this will go to growing the podcast. What I'm hoping to do soon is to hire an editor or get a new microphone because honestly, editing the podcast is a bit of a pain in the butt. But any financial support that we can get really helps. Just check out the link in the bio where it says Patreon and it would mean the world to me. Thank you so much. And secondly, if you want to get even more information and inspiration about this podcast and Trainers Forum, make sure to join our group and like the page on Facebook called Trainers Forum because that's where we announce everything from events to meetups to workshops, which happen all over Europe. We also have a website, which you can just Google called Trainers Forum. Thank you so much for listening again. Really appreciate it. Remember to share this with your friends and other trainers who might find this useful. Next episode is out in two weeks. So until next time, see you and have a great day.